0: Alright folks, welcome back to uh, podcast number 6 And uh, good news is we back to the bourbon trail Easter and Lent are officially over So Team Totem, actually, yeah, we should cheers Cheers right. <laughs> cheers. cheers Welcome back to
1: Pour this out for my homie Brandy
0: <laughs> Bourbon, real estate, we'll get to Brandy in a second um, Current events, taste good? Oh, yes, it yeah. tastes very good. Yeah, mm-hmm. brought to us by Bullet today. Paige thought a little differently.
1: Oh, I'm, I, it's okay now. I just had to <laughs> acclimate my palate. <laughs>
0: That's pretty much how I feel about Bullet all the time. But um, so current events, lots of moves happening. So last since the last time we've talked, two huge announcements for the downtown. Pittsburgh office market, Dickie McCamey took approximately 90,000 square feet. First time they've relocated, um, I want to say in like 90 years, something ridiculous. I don't know the exact time frame, but they've been at PPG, not 90 years, because PPG wasn't here 90 (laughs) years ago, but they've been at PPG maybe since 1984, 85, something like that. Um, But huge relocation at Gateway 4, our next door neighbor, soon to be uh, a building that had uh, a lot of uncertainty with the Gateway Health merger. So um, pretty interesting stuff. And then just this morning, Castle Biosciences announced that they're going to take 45,000 square feet at Nova Place. Nova Place is kicking butt recently with Gecko Robotics and now Castle Biosciences. Um, So the theme of the day is moving and we're going to mix things up a little bit. Unfortunately Brandy who's uh, been a near and dear teammate of ours for the last year and has helped kick this podcast off and also uh, really transformed Totem's marketing department, um, has decided to move home. Um, So in keeping with the move theme, we said to Brandy, we're going to let her take one crack at us here and fire questions. So our podcast today is going to be strictly questions from Brandy as she's been here for a year and has been thinking to herself, what in the world are they talking about? So we have no idea what they are. We have no idea where this is going to go, but we're pretty excited. So
2: so begin the lightning round. Lightning round.
3: Uh, let's start with, for someone who doesn't quite understand finances of real estate, myself, very much confused by half of that conversation, um, can you give a layman's terms explanation of evaluation of a listing in the sense of, like, cap rates and all the intangible numbers that go along with a building's valuation?
2: That's a good one. That's actually not a layman's question.
1: (laughs) (laughs) She's learned a
0: lot. You can already tell.
2: Yeah, Yeah. that's a pretty astute question because there's... After you.
1: Well, this is just fresh in my brain because I... I literally typed it out in a draft of an email to a client last night. Um, so I think...
0: Which was a very good when, draft, by the way. Hey, thanks. Yeah, I liked that. It was very good.
1: Learned it from somebody in this room. Um, so, you know, after two years of listening to Kevin have these conversations, it's rubbed off on me and, you know, Brandy, it's... We discussed this a little bit this morning, but it's it's... This industry moves a million miles a minute, and it's... Really hard. Like you just gotta pick up on tidbits here and there. And from what I have pieced together in my two years here, um, you know, I th- I think the starting point to discuss this would be the starting point of how we approach all of these projects every time we're asked to do evaluation. Um, and the three steps are um, the current value of the building with the present leases in sp- in place. Um, so you take you know the leases. Um, my, the the income minus the operating expenses to get the NOI on an annual basis and then cap that out at a rate that is suitable to the market suitable to the credit of the tenant. That's um, well, right there. Suitable to
2: the product. Type. Or
1: suitable to the product type and suitable position towards the credit of the tenants in place and right. the term length. It's the whole menagerie of things. We're doing a terrible
0: job of layman's terms right now. I just realized that. She said, put this in layman's terms and we're already like off the rails. (laughs) Okay,
1: well, delete that. There's three (laughs) steps we take. We value the asset in place as it sits this day with leases in place or not in place. Um, Value the building if it were vacant and we were going to market it for owner-user opportunity. Or
0: redevelopment, but just
1: redevelopment—the yep. land that it sits on—and um, then value the building if it were to be re-tenanted um, or um, right-sized with market-rate leases in place, um, with the most desirable um, term lengths and credit tenants in place that you believe you could get into that asset as the market
0: fully maximized. So, yep.
1: So those are the three ways that we approach evaluation. Um, And then at the end of the day, sometimes one of those scenarios gets a higher weight towards it because of the nature of whatever asset we're considering. Um, But that's how we generally would approach a, uh, a project like that. And that's kind of where my understanding stops. Oh, please.
0: (laughs) She sounded like she's been doing it for a long time, not in layman's terms. Um, I think your other question on the same vein was about cap rates and that's a difficult one to do in layman's terms, but very simply, um, it is the rate of return on the income that's being produced on the piece of real estate. So if the real estate is producing $1, then you divide it by a cap rate or a percentage that the investor is looking to yield from that investment. And that will give you the value based on their perception of the market. Um, but it's definitely one of the most, or I should say, least understood concepts by the layman out there. It's very near and dear in our circles. People use it like, you know, Kleenex when they say cap rates. People just assume everybody knows what they're talking about. But I would say the layman definitely does not understand what's happening when a cap rate gets thrown out there. Sorry, I'm clicking.
2: And in to further complicate the question, the cap rate is just one method of looking at that's based on the cash flow, the revenues that are being produced versus the uh, expenses that you pay for it. But then is the building being used appropriately? Okay, do you have a tenant in there that's producing a cash flow, but it's the wrong tenant? There are better tenants in that market that could be there. Are you getting enough of a rental rate for that particular building based on its particular uses and location? Um, Is it something that you're technically undercharging for? Well, then there's an unrealized valuation that if you didn't have this tenant here or your own particular use, your property is worth actually more than what someone might value it with the existing tenancies in place. So is this going to be better as a user opportunity? Is the building actually of value? Is it something that should be removed? Is the building It's value all based on the ground that's underneath it. There's any number of moving parts. And as you value a building, you really have to identify this tranche if we did this, this tranche if we did this, this tranche if we did this. And every one of those are going to have a different risk and reward attached to it. And once you've looked at it, you'll have an overall understanding of what's the strategy behind this particular asset and how do we... How do we maximize the value of it? It could be the easiest path that's an existing tenancy in place. It could be biting off something, which would be the value add of getting rid of a tenancy, repositioning the property, and then uh, looking for a longer-term credit tenant to truly enhance the value. So that question being a, a lay question is just loaded with different offshoots of how you'd have to approach it and it all goes back to i got to look at this thing not from the immediate one step because there's so many prongs to that question you know there's every this there's so many other next questions that have to be addressed
0: and i think now that i've had like two minutes to think about it the layman's answer to value of a building is what is it worth (laughs) what is somebody willing to pay for it today in its current condition and how would we get to the most maximized value ever? Like, that's the layman's answer. What's it worth today yeah. based on the current condition? And then what could you do to maximize the value?
2: The, and, and the uh, most honest answer is, what's this building worth? It depends.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and I, a, lot of, a lot of why it sounds confusing, I think, is because, um, because of that nuance and because every um, client that comes to us and asks us, what their building's worth. There's a, a, an array of different end goals at the end of it. Um, like the project that we talked about this morning, um, you have the real estate being held by the same entity that runs the opco. So, um, okay. you know that that is where you get into more uh, high, not even high level, more um, sophisticated finance things or structures of could the operating company be paying real estate or be paying rent to the real estate holding company if they were different entities and how would that alone increase the value of the actual real estate probably a moot point if the owner of the operating company that also owns the real estate doesn't want to sell the real estate but understanding the situation of the clients and their long-term objectives dictates How we approach that, yeah. So it does get. It seems like a lot because you you haven't witnessed just like a simple. (laughs) We've officially proven that you can't
0: answer that question quickly or in layman's terms. (laughs) It's a trick question. So move on to the next (laughs) one. Next. Yeah, I guess my next
3: question was dovetailing into an example that we've certainly discussed in the past of. A client selling the operating company and not realizing the value of said real estate right. that they owned um, and how that affects not only your determination of the value of that building but the, the previous owners obviously didn't even value it the same way you would and who's buying it is, are they going to agree so there's multiple points of view on the value of building and that just doubles the sophistication, as Paige just said, of the factors that you put in, and it's, from my point of view, been um, used to think, well, it's bricks and mortar, what is the value of bricks, what is the value of the land, what is the value of the roof?
0: Like, replacement cost.
3: Replacement cost and actual cost and tangible cost. Right. And that is not even a tenth of the factor. Into what values a property? You see a listing come across, and you go from the outside, from my point of view. Before here would have been all well, that building's worth this much, right. and that land cost this much. So therefore, how are they getting to that number?
0: Right.
3: And watching, not only you guys decide that, but the current owner's understanding of that.
0: Like it, it's fascinating. You pointed out we had a call yesterday on a project. Um, where it's a substantial piece of real estate. It's a substantial investment. I mean, we're talking tens of millions of dollars. And I literally don't even know the address because the real estate almost doesn't matter. The credit of the tenant is so good. It's a Fortune 100 company. It almost doesn't matter where the real estate's at and what they're doing with it. Like the bricks and the sticks and the roof, Candidly, don't matter, and you know a client is going to make an offer on said property. I don't want to say sight unseen, but effectively sight unseen, because they're effectively attributing value to what is the uh, importance of the cash flow from that company to them over a long period of time.
2: And that's what understanding and knowing what are the what are the absolute benefits of ownership of that particular property. Prop, the benefits of ownership of that property are the fact that this tenant is in it for this period of time paying this rent everything else is irrelevant whereas there could be a completely opposite scenario where having the tenant in a space is an actual detriment to the value of the property right so it's it really is all over the board and even the people that own the property don't look at it with the depth of these are the things that you should be considering when you place a value here or when you decide to transfer this property. It's a, it's a very convoluted process of what does it mean for the appropriate purchaser or what does it mean for the appropriate party owning it. A lot of moving parts. Lots yeah. of moving parts. There's,
1: there's, there's not just like three inputs. There's, <laughs> it's yeah. like a choose your adventure, like depending on the end goal you can take seven to 7,000 routes to get there. Um, and I think that's where you know, our, our holistic approach and, and what Kevin founded Totem with the intent of delivering is working together as a team to ideate all of these things and, and to talk through these things as a team. Um, And with our client, it's not like you just go down a checklist and put a number in for, you know, the roof's age, the, you know, the replacement cost, the market comps, you know, that's not, that's not how we operate. Um,
0: Yeah, you need to know what their goals are and what their objectives are and layer that in with the real estate thing. It's super
1: complicated. And then even layer it in of like the value add improvements that could be made. Um, in terms of retenanting or adjusting leases as they are coming up for expiration right. with market rate leases um, that create that value. Um, so it's it can be the, I don't want to say the manipulation, but the targeting of certain financial aspects of a property that you could improve to increase.
0: It increase literally is financial population. engineering yeah. at the end of the
2: day. Yeah, and then identifying what is the highest and best use of this particular asset. Got new titles. Financial how, engineers. How do we? <laughs> how do we fancy. get? There? Like how
0: do you get there <laughs> with Except that? I don't know anything about finance
1: or engineering. <laughs>
0: All right. What's next?
3: Um, Totem does both tenant rep and listings of properties for sale or lease. For each of you, which do you prefer? And which do you want to
1: get more into? Everyone say their answer at the fir- same time. One, One two, two, three. three ten rep. <laughs> Next. Next.
0: <laughs> no, we love our listing and landlord clients too. But
1: there's there's just <laughs> more opportunities for that. The creativity, you know, when you're when you're representing a, a building or a space for lease, you know outside of the financial mechanisms that we have talked about engineering, you are working with that space. You know, so there are ways to get creative and there are ways that we, you know, definitely take pride in how we represent those landlords and those sellers and those properties and the spaces. But I think that tenant rep assignments lend themselves a lot more to... um, kind of that like super client-centric view that we take on the world where like we are really – we have the ab- ability in those assignments to really go out in the market and truly find what's best for our, our client rather than we represent a building we can we can only do so much to change the material makeup of that building. So in my mind, um, tenant representation or buyer representation um, – Just allows us to operate in that realm where we can really add a ton of value.
2: And the listing of the property is actually a misnomer. Um, There are a lot of firms that will just list properties, and that property becomes an inventory. Totem is hired to act as an advisor to the owner. Part of the advice of a real estate that we'll give to a real estate investor is: there's properties that you should be acquiring. And at the end of the day, there's probably properties that you should be disposing. And we're not looking at it from the, let's get this inventory on the market like we're stocking a shelf. Let's identify who the best user is for this particular property and specifically target that particular person to dispose of that asset because that's not the best use of the investor's money at that particular time that might not be that might be listing a property for sale it also might be repositioning a property it might be recasting a lease within a property it might be just financial engineering of that particular asset what is the best way of making this the most value and the most efficiency to the actual owner of the asset it's just it's from the investor out not from the product in mm-hmm. so Technically, yes, we are listing properties, and technically we're committing acts of brokerage when we do this, but it's the actual strategy behind it. What is it that you're trying to accomplish? We're not just trying to accomplish something to get it to the form of a transaction and close it. We're actually trying to do it in a method of, this is another step we get to, to complete the strategy and allow this company to become more efficient, a better operating company, or a better in return on your investment. Better deploying of that asset dollar. So
0: Michael didn't answer. It was tenant rep or landlord rep. What's your answer?
2: uh, I'm I'm going to go to the other side and say we are investment advisors. Now the easier one to do.
1: Political answer. Yeah, the
2: easier one to do is tenant representation because at the end of the day, you know this the tenant is the one with the power. You're representing the dollar that's being spent. Okay. If you're representing a particular piece you just of product. It
0: was easier.
1: I know. Did you see it? I he heard does? that. Like, literally 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 like it's, I, I no, I actually
2: <laughs> think it's an easier thing to do because you can identify what it and I also say this from doing this for for close to forty years, too. So, there's oh, no, there's a reason. We don't that have it, have
1: enough experience no, no, to be it's just a it's just to, the the,
2: Jesus, the, the heavier lift is to find the right Bruce solution at the highest price. These guys. Yeah, are news crazy. alert. Michael
0: had a big sale last month, so he's all excited no, about landlord no, work. No, it's just
2: it's uh, no. And, and in all candor, I think that uh, I don't necessarily like landlord work, but that doesn't mean you don't have to do it because it's part of of the work we That's do on question. behalf of, of, of investors. Um, there's a Ourselves included. Yeah. I mean, if you, you know, if you, if you I, I don't know, I, I can't do any other analogy other than real estate. Looking at the, at the product that you're trying to transfer or the reason that you're trying to transfer it is just as important as what you're trying to acquire. There's a reason why you're trying to acquire a product. When we represent a tenant, you can have two buildings that almost look identical, but between the landlord, the operating, the ops cost, the column spacing, the physical footprint of the building, the location, they can be completely different dynamics to the actual company that's going to be going in and occupying it, something that is going to find its way down into the bottom line, something that's going to find its way down into human resources, retention of talent. You know, there's so many other moving parts to what we do. This is really. I'm switching back to tenant rep. No, but I'm saying <laughs> it, it translates back and forth. It does. And the consumer that's looking to find a property that fits their needs might not be asking those questions. And that's a value that you can transfer that doesn't have a necessarily dollar for a brick or dollar for mortar or operating expense. It might mean something different to the actual person acquiring a property if you're disposing of an asset for someone. It's just there's, there's so much going on, and you constantly have to be looking at the world from 20,000 feet and then just dive right down and get into ground level two at the same time.
0: Yeah, you got to be able to do it at both levels. You have
2: to do it at both levels. And I don't think that you can truly do one without being fluent at the other. Agreed. The idea of, oh, I you just said, while list. While not being buildings. fluent at
1: the other. Pardon? Is that what you said? You said while not being fluent right. at the Instead other. Oh, you to to fluid, have
2: but, to, but, in yeah. order to negotiate, you have to understand on both sides of the table. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to know this is why I did it on behalf of the landlord. And when we work for, for a client, we have a fiduciary duty to get the best deal for anybody. And I have been a landlord and I have been a tenant representative. representative. And there's, like I said, there's tricks of the trade where I can give you a dollar and I can take it back seven times. And that's what the expertise is. And I guarantee you the majority of our industry and the majority of the people that actually spend money on real estate Don't get down to that granular level of asking those questions. And I've pretty much mopping up. Okay, a short
1: story long. Michael's (sighs) response
2: Next question. (laughs) I like real estate. I I think that's the bottom
0: line. We love real estate.
3: Well, I got... I don't know if you're going to be able to answer this one, but I thought I'd throw it in for fun. What is the most ridiculous request or demand you've heard come from either a landlord or a tenant in a lease negotiation?
1: (laughs) I... (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, ju- There's a lot of
2: them. Lie. What? What? Lie. Oh. What do you mean? Uh. Remeasure a building that you can't support. Um. Try to justify something that is, for the most part, not justifiable. That's from a a, a landlord aspect of it, and um, you know, I think that's the education of you know, say, well, yeah, that's you, you can't do that, and understanding. This is the reason why. So,
0: Rewind the tape. So you're saying you had a client ask you to lie.
2: I've had a client make a suggestion that I'm simplifying it. Yeah. That we have to do this and, you know, let's measure the building from here or this side or, you know. I mean, there's, there's okay. ways that you can manipulate numbers, but there's also ways that you, you've gone across the line. Right. That's, That's a good one. That is... The most egregious thing that I think anyone has has asked to do. Now, that's not the dumbest thing that people. I was going to say the, the
0: word was ridiculous, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. ridiculous. Egregious okay. versus ridiculous um, semantics. I'm just
0: thinking because there's lots of examples, so I'm trying to come up with the best one.
1: Yeah, and I'm hesitant to answer it because it's all right. In uh, two years, what's I mean, the most I...
0: ridiculous thing you've heard someone ask for?
1: I mean, I think it's just, and and I don't, like, I hate to say that it's ridiculous because I think if you don't live in this, in, if you don't play in this industry frequently, um, you don't really have, have a grasp on the time it takes for things to happen. Um, oh, I know where this is going. <laughs> so, and especially right now, I mean... Um, with like lead times being so long and labor being difficult to find and product time frames um, when you need to do a build out of a space, you can't turn a space around in 30 days anymore by and large. Um, And because of COVID, I think contracts, even before you get to the point of turning around a space and building it out for tenant improvements, contracts, I think, are even more Painstakingly litigated now because of what the world went through at the beginning of COVID with force majeure and, you know, uh, mandatory minimum operating hours and the whole array of things that came up during COVID that got people to start paying attention to their contracts. So um, I think it's just the expectation of how quickly things can happen and the contrast with reality that. <laughs> You know, you know. I met a, it a takes young time. kid. It takes a lot of time, and and I met a young um, a young kid who's working at a, a startup that's growing like crazy at an event last week. And um, you know, we were asking him about a space. They're in a co-working type setup now, and he's like, "Yeah, we're we're going to look eventually, but we're not there yet. Maybe at the end of this year." And I was standing in a group with several other um, you know advisors, brokers in the in the in, in the Pittsburgh community, and we all looked at each other, and we're like, no, you should have started Yesterday. last month.
2: Right.
1: Um, so <laughs> I think it's just the, the expectations. You never, we never want to feel like we're letting our clients down, but certain things that they, have, they expect from a time frame perspective, just no one could deliver it. It's not possible. Um, so that, to me, is there are days where I think this is wild. I'm like, how do they think I could do this? But then I <laughs> realize... And then it I realized, though, like, they don't live in this world, so how yeah. would they know otherwise? And, so just as a PSA to everyone out there, like, start a year in advance at Right, least. and the other part of it
2: is that you can't explain to them how bad it will be or the financial harm that you could cause your company if you don't start it in advance right. because you've been put into a situation. Now you're trying to do something that takes six months to a year in the space of a month and a half. Somebody is going to take advantage of that, yeah. landlords. Uh, and, and rightfully so. And you rightfully so leverage, because yeah. you lost all your leverage and your, you know, your piss-poor planning prohibits peak performance. And uh, if you I don't like that, if, okay, you don't, if you don't look at <laughs> your, that one,
1: if, <laughs> if you say don't it again. look, he's exchanged <laughs> metaphors for alliterations, everybody, piss Watch
2: poor <laughs> planning prohibits peak performance. All right. Am I allowed
0: to answer the question since I'm the only one who's actually going to answer it with a specific example? You guys. Okay, go ahead. The yeah, go ahead. So I will take full responsibility. Mm-hmm. I was on the tenant representative side of this. And we were moving into a downtown building that was adjacent to a parking lot and a park with incredible views of the Three Rivers. And we put in our letter of intent to the landlord that should the property next door get developed and therefore lose our views of the Three Rivers and the Point in Pittsburgh, that we were immediately able to terminate our lease. And it took less than 12 hours for my phone to ring from the asset manager in New York City. And his exact words were, who the fuck do you think you are? And I was like, what do you mean? What do we do? He's like, you asked me to terminate a lease if somebody else who I don't control builds a building. I was like, yeah. I was dead serious, too. Uh, needless to say, we were not successful in obtaining that very ridiculous request. But at the end of the day, was it really ridiculous? We wanted great views. We tried.
1: If you don't ask, you don't get Hey, if ask. you
0: don't, Paige just, spoiler alert, most important thing of the day. If you do not ask, you do not get.
2: Well, I will say that there, it, it, as far as ridiculous requests, this is uh, when I was doing a lot more development. I was requested by a member of a planning commission of a bureaucracy to do a study on how the shadow cast by the building we were trying to build would impact the aquatic life in the Mon River in Morgantown and to quote her was like aren't you going to kill all the fish in the river
1: and to quote michael he said the fish <laughs>
2: I did not say. On this one. I, I did. I did not say that. Actually, <laughs> you said it
1: first so I was like, oh, "But that's I did funny. say."
2: I did one of those double takes. Going, hey, are you serious about that? Asked to do a study on the impact of the fish.
0: Rabbit hole. We're not going to go down. Next Ra- question. Next question.
2: <laughs> so that is the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard.
0: I still love that I asked that guy to give us the right to terminate our lease if they build a building next door.
2: Well, there's there's actual legal cases of people winning awards for destroying air rights and view sheds. Right. When Donald Trump built Trump Tower, he purchased the air rights above Tiffany's. He bought the for a pretty penny, by the way. I think it was $5 million so that he would not impede Trump Tower's view of Central Park. So it's a legitimate question. He didn't like it, but right. he didn't like it. All right, next. I
3: don't know if this is a legitimate question, so much as I just want to know your points of view on this topic. Oh my god! And this gosh. is my last boomer versus millennial oh question to poke
1: the two bears in the
0: room.
2: Is the bourbon still
0: here? Do we have a timer? Like, can we reduce <laughs> answers to less than ten seconds? Can we
1: give both of us two minutes, and then Michael will just talk over me the whole time? No. Yeah. <laughs>
0: After I hear the question, I'm definitely going to institute a timer.
3: (laughs) So I've noticed in this industry, and in all fairness to a lot of industries, that there's a mix of up-and-coming players and new technology. And there's also a lot of, let's call them seasoned players, that are still in the business leading the new ones. There's a lot of hesitancy on the one end, to embrace technology, I like to call them the PDFers. They're obsessed with accessibility to a PDF rather than a technology. So, do you see this as a big turning point in this industry someday soon of embracing technology? And how do you plan on facing that?
1: Ooh, I ruined Michael's life with this debate last week. What week was it?
2: No, you, you. You. I'm going to give you the first shot. Or do you want me to take the first shot?
1: Um, well, I was just going to... Ma- I don't... No one's taking shots, Michael. Um,
2: yes, we unless are. Unless it's
1: bourbon. <laughs> but no, we, we had this exact conversation last week um, at Sly Fox, and I was just saying, you know, um, that I...
0: plugged to our favorite bar and pizza shop in town, mm-hmm. Sly Fox.
1: Woo-woo. Um, I was saying, I think that... Brokers and agents and advisors need to start repositioning themselves in a way where, um, and actually I don't even know if it's possible with like AI and machine learning um, and like the monstrosity that CoStar has become and all of the segments of the industry that they have already acquired and put under their umbrella. Um, And then you factor in the advancements by leaps and bounds that artificial intelligence and and machine learning are now uh, making in the world. Um, I was presenting Michael with a theory I have about how our industry could become obsolete because you could just plug inputs into a machine and they can analyze all of the data that we analyze, like we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast, um, in um, adding value, when to sell, any kind of deal analysis, machines are actively learning how to do it better than we do. Um, so that was, like, what I brought up to Michael is, like, I, I do have concerns about how this, what we do in this industry could be threatened by that. Um, Michael was like, then why are you doing this? <laughs> Find something else. <laughs> um, it was a very, I, was, I had to make it very clear, I wasn't advocating for that. Um, but I have concerns about that um, I think that's the way we're trending I mean even if you look at like CoStar I mean the tools they have built in with the lease analysis that used to be something that the brokers would have like a graphing calculator to, to work out all of the that math and um, just the amount of data that technology can process and the rapid speed that it can be done um, you know I think that trend is going to continue I already feel like I don't view myself as an old person. I am also very green in this industry. Um, but I already feel like I am a du- like not doing a good job of keeping up with the technology that's coming out. Um, so that's, what was the question? <laughs>
0: Exactly, no. uh, I
1: feel like I just Michael castled that. Well, Paige um. <laughs> definitely just Michael
2: castled that. No, I I, I think that uh, first of all, technology is changing, and people my age are we're bad at it. I mean, we really suck at this stuff. Um, it changes too rapidly for you know how we're used to operating in our business. Um, now, I refuse to believe. At least for my remaining career, that you know uh, a machine is going to be able to duplicate my experience. I have a real issue with that, and maybe I'm just trying to make myself more relevant in this uh, in this environment. But um, yeah, I just think that the stuff that we've learned uh, is it's not something you're going to be able to duplicate with data points. Now, one of the things I think that's important that someone my age has to understand, is the world's changing. We might not be part of this thing, but we are going to get completely run over by it. So looking at someone like Paige or someone younger than me, we have to recognize the value, the inherent value that they bring, because they look at the world in a different manner. And we are committing a crime, from my perspective, of not understanding how the rest of the world is viewing certain things. My way is not the only way. It might be the way I believe, but I have to understand that there are new technologies and new tools that we should be considering and we should be learning um, and embracing rather than fighting it. Now, I think there's a political rift and a personality rift when you have that young old kind of scenario. But I think that's always been in life that, you know, young people always looked at older people and, you know, with disdain until they got to be a little bit older. So I think that the industry is changing. I think the data is completely different. I think the consumer, the guy that I normally would have dealt with, um, they probably retired and, you know, on doing something else. And there's a whole new brief of people that we're providing counsel to. But at the end of the day, the information and the interpretation of that data is what we get paid for, or it's where it's we earn our money, what makes us different from everybody else. So I think that it has to be, at some point in time, we're going to get a lot further getting along and collaborating with young and old and bringing different perspectives than we are just kind of trying to stop the train.
0: Yeah, and my two cents is... Uh, As you guys know, we've been early adopters of some pretty significant technology in the industry. Um, I love every second of it. It gives Totem the platform to be um, competitive on a global scale because I think the information flow and the data reach that we have as a small company is incredible to where it was 20 years ago. If you didn't have all of the information internally in your own uh, you know, silos, you were irrelevant. And I think our clients, to Michael's point, really are counting on the interpretation of that data, not the data itself. So I love it. I think everything about the technology is fantastic. And I think until humans are completely removed from the process, meaning landlord's a machine, tenant is a machine, and only machines communicate in the process, that there will always be a critical piece of the puzzle of interpretation and human interaction. And therefore, unlike Paige's concern that our role is being um, potentially eradicated, I think our role is becoming more and more valuable every single day. And it gets me really, really excited about where we're headed in the future
1: with the benefit
0: of technology.
1: And to be clear, I'm not talking about like Technologies that exist in our industry today making us obsolete. But I'm just saying that, um, I mean, machine learning is literally teaching robots to think like humans. So I think it's something that could become obsolete in the future. That's all I'm saying. It's just like. The good news
0: is, I'm a fantastic painter. So <laughs> we can always resort to that if the machines take over real estate.
1: I mean, I did listen to a podcast the other day about how. We could, you know, there's a concern, obviously, of this taking over. And I won't go down too much of a rabbit hole. But there's a concern about AI and robotics replacing so many of the jobs we do. And someone brought up a point where it's like, well, then maybe we could just get back to living our lives. Like, we wouldn't just have to work all the time. All right, so I'm a a painter. What are you?
2: I'm going to be... Either cocktail piano at a Holiday Inn. Do you know or how to play the do you piano?
1: Play piano. I can learn. No, 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 no. He means drinking Today. cocktails and playing the piano.
0: Today, <laughs> machines take over. You, you have to do something for
2: work. Tiki bar and the keys. Well, no okay. question. Bartender, absolutely. And you?
1: Um. No, I think the point is, if machines take over, we don't have to work. But what would I be doing? I'd be well.
0: You'd have to. Well, uh, rescuing we're not going down dogs.
1: That. I'd be in the mountains of Montana with a bunch of dogs.
0: Rescuing dogs. Yeah. Getting paid to do that, or just we
1: don't need jobs, Kevin. The robots do the jobs, and we just reap the fruits of their labor.
0: Okay. That's the glory. All right, them. but in my question, you have to do a job and get paid for it.
1: Um. I have to do it, man. I mean, I kind of like like I like my job now.
0: Right? No, but you you're, were saying the machine takes this over.
1: Um. Well, ro- the robots can also play piano and make cocktails or bartender.
2: Oh my gosh! I do know You actually have pianos that can play piano. I
1: think the point is of what would our hobby be? How would we spend the rest of our time in life if we didn't have to work? But that wasn't the question. Robots would replace.
0: Okay, but that wasn't the question.
1: What would I do if if it weren't about the to earn a living?
0: What would you do if you weren't doing real estate? Because machines took over.
1: Um, I think I would probably I would probably go back to bartending. That was really fun. Oh,
0: I would teach. Oh, I oh, was teaching God. in the Keys, bartending, teaching, painting. All right.
2: Any more questions? Or
1: maybe being a dog walker.
2: Can I just add one thing? Something dogs It's like the, we, we, we have. I work
1: on a vineyard. That's what I do. Yeah. I change. No, we,
2: we, we technology is advancing, and technology is always advanced. Not as with the pace that it's kept, but there is a cultural shift and the it's that chasm is becoming wider and wider, and you know it's this is not an olive branch or anything like that. We've got to reach out and find some part that you you actually agree on so that you can make a bridge there because at some point in time, the younger generation is going to become a little bit older, and they're going to recognize, yeah, that guy wasn't as much of an idiot as I thought he was, and then there's going to be a whole crew of younger people that you know you you find a little bit obscure so it's like that i think that's the nature of that's the circle of life kind of thing so we we are separated by a huge cultural divide right now but i think in the future that would actually be something that bridges
1: and i don't personally. think it is i think it's just changing it's like i saw a meme or whatever you want to call it on instagram the other day about you know the the Boomer generation is criticizing the Gen Zs of like they can't they can't do anything for themselves anymore. They don't know how to change their oil or change their gas. And the Gen Zs like, yeah, well, you can't you know chisel an arrowhead and hunt a woolly mammon like your ancestors. Like it all changes. We all develop different skill sets as the demands of our our daily lives change and as technology changes and improves. And I think. Like I, I think it is a very narrow-sighted um, state of mind or position to have to think that no one is gonna do it better. No one younger than you is gonna do it better than you. Like I, it makes me very optimistic for the future because I Don't. see that. Um, I'm wrapping
0: this bad boy up. Oh no 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 no! no, no, no. Just, no you're I not getting away with that. that. You guys are both fighting for the last I mean, word. No. The question was PDFs. Or not. It was
2: Oh, I'm a technophobe, I admit. And, uh,
3: I'm going to get you on the shared
1: drive by the end of the week. I mean, in I would love of- to have a Gen Z mentor come like teach me the ways of like TikTok and Instagram. I'm open to it.
0: Bring I'm it on. I'm fully
1: self aware. <laughs> if you're a that Gen Z or want to come teach me the I'm fully self aware that this it. is not something I have come up with in my, like, my brain's capability to learn these new technologies is already decreasing
0: and so i embrace
1: it the people who have that different skill set from me bring it on bring it on i'm open to it in
0: the circle of life as michael most eloquently said and we started with moving um and while we had this fun debate we should have done this more often questions from the Peanut gallery, rifle style. I like it. Brandy
1: the peanut gallery.
0: Well, clearly she's not the peanut gallery. We are definitely gonna miss her. I think she
1: has more questions too. No, that was her last question. That was the last question. Look, she got
0: closed her book. Oh. Or her Mac book Mac something or other. Yeah. Um further illustrating that point. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not on the Apple train. Sorry. It is what it is. Um it's been awesome. Thanks for being here. Thank you.
1: Yeah, thanks, Brandy. Cheers to Brandy.
0: Cheers to Brandy. Cheers to Brandy. Cheers to
1: Brandy. And to Michael accepting that sometimes you have to embrace people with different viewpoints. I think that was a great takeaway.
0: Great takeaway. All right. Well, thanks for joining us for this episode. We'll be back to you in two weeks. And again, if you've got any questions or comments or uh, you'd like to participate as a guest or got ideas for topics, please let us know. We look forward to it. We would love guests.
1: Still looking for like an Opportunity Zone expert. For someone that could... Uh, I think
0: we're ready for guests.
1: Yeah.
0: But in any event, have a yeah, great day. The we'll question is, yes. are guests ready for
2: us?
1: Oh. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's a wrap. Yeah,
1: that's a super wrap. <laughs>